You're listening to 3CR Radio. But we do have Senator Brian Gregg, former Senator Brian Gregg from Just Equal on the Line. Brian, welcome back to the show. Thank you, and hello, Melbourne. Great to chat with you again, Brian. Lots going on in federal politics. Let's start with our Senator Claire Chandler's uh, private members bill, a bit of a strange one. It's all about banning trans kids uh, from playing sport according to their gender identity. It's an amendment she's proposing as a private members bill, uh, an amendment to the Sex Discrimination Act. The Prime Minister's endorsed it. Why didn't he just uh, get the government to move the bill? I think the the, the politics here are quite interesting and it's in, it's important to understand a couple of things one is that uh claire chandler needs to position herself politically in tasmania with with the hard right because her pre-selection depends on it and she's very much an acolyte of eric abetz and we're all familiar with him that's a part of it i think too that the religious right have lost a lot of battles in recent times. Over the last, shall we say, 15, 20 years, they lost the battle on abortion. They lost the battle on euthanasia. They lost the battle on marriage equality. Um, They've lost the hearts and minds of most Australians when it comes to uh, lesbian and gay people and same-sex couples. And so they've simply turned their guns onto a new and vulnerable section of the community, and that's trans and gender-diverse people. So this is straight out of the playbook from the US religious fundamentalists and the right over there, the Republican right over there. Uh, Claire Chandler has clearly been working on this behind the scenes for some time and decided to drop this just before the election. The bill is not going to be brought on for debate. There'll be no discussion. There'll be no vote. It's just there to dangle in front of religious conservatives and say, look what I'm doing. And the government really needed to do that to some degree because of their embarrassing loss with the religious discrimination bill. So this is trying to to salvage some of that and saying, don't worry, we're still going to pick on these people and we're doing it through these means. But, But I think Claire Chandler and indeed Scott Morrison have got their timing wrong on this and that people are looking at this in bewilderment and going, you're doing what? So I wonder, in fact, if um, they now have second thoughts about all of this. It was brazen, though, wasn't it, how the Prime Minister posed in the media with his arm around her, really showing that his fingerprints were all over this private member's bill, as you say, at a time when most people were thinking he should pull his head in and uh, go quiet on the issue. He's continuing to try and bait the community, it seems. I think the Prime Minister has a very Sydney-centric view of the world. Uh, I think that's true of a, a number of you know, uh, politicians in, in our federal parliament, but the PM in particular. And I think he perceives that uh, getting stuck into the, the culture war of trans people is a good thing because it, it probably it probably plays well in sections of Sydney, particularly in, in the outer suburbs, but it doesn't play well in Tasmania. Uh, the backlash there has been significant, so much so that... Even the Liberal Party Premier of that state has come out and said he opposes the bill. So I wonder, you know, it's, it's all very well for the PM to put his arm around Claire Chandler and say, isn't this bill great? But that doesn't play well, hasn't played well in Tasmania, and it's not entirely clear how well it will play on the mainland. Even those people who might think, oh, well, this bill's not a bad idea, are still scratching their heads and saying, but surely we have more important things to be focusing on just now. How much has this damaged the Prime Minister within the Liberal Party? I mean, if they weren't so close to an election, they'd probably roll him, don't you think? Oh, look, it, that's a tough call. I wouldn't like to, to venture down that path. But what I would say is what I'm hearing internally and from journalists is that most uh, Liberal Party, National Party MPs in the coalition would rather that the whole religious discrimination thing went away. They didn't see it as a priority uh, it's recognised as being a bit of a, a toy or a, or a prize for the, from the prime minister for the prime minister himself. It was something that he very much pursued, uh, but he left his run too late. Uh, it, it was just hopeless to try and get this through the parliament uh, as a wedge tactic in the, in you know at one minute before midnight before the next election, and and he ended up being wedged himself. Do you think the Prime Minister will try and pass the Religious Discrimination Bill when Parliament returns for that brief sitting uh, in March for the budget? Uh, There is a window of opportunity for him? No, I don't believe that for a moment. Uh, The government will want to focus on 
the economy and on the budget, uh, particularly in the context of the havoc which is now going to be wreaked economically around the world with Russia uh, and its actions in the Ukraine. So the government won't want to go back to um, trans kids. Um, that would be the, the death of them. But let's be very clear about this. No matter who wins, uh, no matter if, if Morrison gets back or if Albanese is elected, this issue is still on the table. This bill will come back. A coalition government or a Labor government will bring this bill back. So the question for our community is, in what form will the bill be? And that's why I think it's instructive to look at how the various parties voted and what kind of amendments they put up with the legislation that was just withdrawn. Yeah, what's your analysis of the Labor Party's position? Uh, it's weak. Uh, it, you know, you, you really need to scratch below the surface to find out precisely what they said and exactly how they voted. Uh, let, let's be clear, they did some good stuff with kids. The, the statement from Albanese and the commitment by Labor on uh, a, a lesbian, gay, trans, bi, gender diverse kids was really good. They said we will not uh, uh, allow any discrimination against them and they stuck to their amendments on that. They could go further with that. There is still a weakness in that particular position in that, in that their amendments didn't cover religious belief. They're only talking about fixing the Sex Discrimination Act to, to deal with that. But that doesn't close the loophole around religious belief. And that's what happened at the City Point School in Brisbane, where they were using contracts around religious belief to try and exclude uh, sexual and gender diverse kids. So, so that bypassed the Sex Discrimination Act. But, but more importantly, during the debate, um, independent MP um, Rebecca Sharkey, the member for Mayo in South Australia, she moved an amendment to protect teachers. Uh, effectively saying we were not we ought not discriminate against LGBTIQ plus teachers in faith-based schools. There were several Liberal moderates who voted for that, but Labor didn't. They voted with the government to sink that. That was deeply disappointing and a bit concerning, because if Labor had have voted for that amendment, it would have got up, and it would have been part of the amended bill that went to the Senate. So Labor's position on what they would do with teachers post the election is unclear. Labor have said, oh, we'll send this off to the Law Reform Commission or, or somebody to look at it and we'll look at how we might address this. But that, that's, I think that's weak. I think they should have taken a much clearer and stronger stand. And it means that ultimately they voted through a bill in, in the third reading in the lower house. They voted through a bill that very specifically discriminated against teachers. And the third point, which doesn't get enough discussion, I think, is that separate to teachers, there are hundreds and hundreds of LGBTIQ plus people around Australia who work for faith-based organisations in healthcare, uh, aged care, uh, community services, charities. Uh, you know, we all know those religious orgs that run those sort of services, which have all been effectively outsourced by the government over the last 20 years. None of those people are protected by this bill. So while there's been lots of noise about how we should or shouldn't protect teachers in, in faith schools. There's been no discussion about how we protect staff in these other faith services. And Labor's position on that is unclear because they didn't make any amendments or pursue any amendments. They've made no statements in that regard. And there are far more people working in those services than there are in schools. It's even more shocking when you think of it you know, as a workers' rights issue, isn't it? And it's like it's creating a, a, a second class of, of, of workers that happen to be queer. Um, it's, it's, it's shocking, too, when you consider that you know, workers are Labor's core constituency. And where's the union movement in all of this as well? Yeah, well, there were some teachers unions that spoke out quite strongly, but I don't recall seeing any in relation to the other services. I think the other disappointing thing, too, for Labor and where they need to get their act together is they repeatedly said prior to their vote on this bill that they would never endorse any religious discrimination bill that override existing state laws, that undermined existing protections for LGBTIQ plus people. And yet that's exactly what they did. Some of the amendments got up, some didn't, and then they voted the bill through. And the bill, the bill that went through wiped out protections for workers in Tasmania, Victoria, Queensland and the ACT. Now, Labor have said, no, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll, you know, when we get into government, we'll fix all that up. But in the meantime, it means had that bill passed, that all of those workers would have been threatened uh, in their current workplace. And, of course, there's no guarantee that Labor is going to win the election. Uh, we all remember clearly how how it was all, all... Everything pointed to Bill Shorten and Labor winning the last one and that all the polls were running in their direction. But on the day, shock horror. 
Now, it's not out of the question that that could happen again. And if it does, it means that Labor has shepherded through a bill um, through to the coalition, which in government they could make even worse. Well, yes, the Labor Party's only won a majority in the House of Reps once since 1996. So their track record on winning federal elections isn't great. And then, of course, the whole kind of, you know, war in Ukraine issue. How's that going to play out? Uh, and, you know, it makes you wonder if Morrison's kind of banking on 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 that being his, his saving issue somehow. I'm not quite sure how. But what are your thoughts on that? Oh, look, I think a lot of this just swirls around Western Sydney. Um, uh, uh, I think it's fair to say that the whole religious discrimination bill arose out of the out of the conservative, deeply conservative slash religious opportunity by some politicians, cynical politicians, to whip up these issues in those electorates, because many of them are Labor seats, and as your listeners would know, they were particular Labor seats that voted very clearly no in the 2017 postal survey on marriage equality. So it was seen as, I think, uh, by Morrison and some of his advisers that, you know, uh, you know, let's let's cause fuss here. Let's stir up a division in Labor. Let's see if we can snatch those seats or cross them votes. But I don't think that necessarily plays very well outside of Western Sydney or in other electorates. Um, you know, Victorians are much more relaxed about these issues, as are West Australians, as are Tasmanians. In, in Queensland, they've had anti-discrimination laws for schools for some time. And I think the Sydney-centric focus often of both, not just Morrison, but also sometimes Albanese and his advisers, blinds them to the reality of just how much more advanced Australians are around these issues. And I would urge caution. Do you think, though, the Prime Minister is going to you know, pivot and try and make it a national security election? I think that's highly likely. I think we're going into a khaki election. A khaki, a khaki election. Nothing Conservative MPs love more than a khaki election. I think we'll see lots of imagery, lots of optics over the next few weeks of the PM talking with generals and sitting on tanks and holding guns. Um, yeah, I think that's all par for the course. I mean, what Australia says and does in relation to Russia is utterly irrelevant, but it's about the positioning, it's about the optics and about looking tough. Um, I think Morrison will try and position himself as a, as a general and as a statesman in the wake of current events, um, and it'll be a test for Labor as to how they match that. Brian Gregg, always great to get your insights on 3CR. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Pleasure. Good afternoon. Brian Gregg there from Just Equal. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James and here's Cat Power.
there, the greatest. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Joined by Sean Mulcahy from the Victorian Pride Lobby. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, James. It's great to chat. The Lobby's been doing so much awesome work in the local government area. Tell us about the campaigns you've been running. Well, uh, our Rainbow Local Government campaign is about supporting local governments right across Victoria to be more inclusive of the LGBTIQA plus people that live, work and recreate in their local government areas. And we've had some huge wins over the past fortnight in council from Moreland to Barrabanong, from Stonington to South Gippsland and to Monash as well too. Uh, So what we're doing is working with council laws and council officers to progress initiatives that will support the local communities. It's like these rainbow dominoes have been falling over the last, you know, past 12 months really with local government because of the lobby's work. Um, Tell us about some of the big victories that you've had, some of the specific issues where where councils have been resistant, but you've worked with local groups and council laws uh, to achieve change. Well, let's go with one case study. South Gippsland Shire Council has just agreed to fly the rainbow flag, which is fantastic news. Now, South Gippsland had previously been in a period of administration. So that means the council hasn't been working. The council has got kicked out and some administrators got put in. We wrote to the administrators and said, will you fly the rainbow flag? And they said, no, that's a decision for an elected council to make. And then once the new council came in, we and the fantastic Uh, team at the Gippsland Pride Initiative wrote to the council and they've agreed to fly the rainbow flag. And what that means is that for the first time this year, every council in Gippsland will be flying the rainbow flag. They'll be the only region in Victoria where every single council's flying the rainbow flag. So I think that's a case where a bit of persistence and determination has led to a really great outcome. And I think You know, flying the rainbow flag might not be a big thing, but for people that are particularly growing up in rural areas where there's a good degree of social isolation, seeing that their council is out there and supporting them sends the right kind of signal that this is a place that is inclusive and accepting of LGBTIQA plus people. Well, that's right. In some of those communities, it must be the first time perhaps there's been any public acknowledgement of there being a local queer community. Absolutely. And I think it's a stepping stone to further reforms down the track. And we look at what some of the more inner city councils are doing. Moreland City Council unanimously agreed to establish an LGBTIQA plus reference group. Maribyrnong has appointed its LGBTIQA plus advisory committee. So we're starting to see that councils, starting with flying the rainbow flag, participating in pride events like midsummer or regional pride events, and then taking the next step of going, what can we proactively do to hear the voices from our LGBTIQA plus communities? What about West Wimmera Council? I know there was some, uh, not dramas, but some dynamics, let's just say, that went on there in relation to flying the rainbow flag. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so whilst it's been a good fortnight of wins, we've mentioned Moreland, Maribyrnong and South Gippsland, and there's a few more uh, down the track, West Milmurra was a bit of a step backwards. So uh, there had a community member had written to the council asking if they would fly the rainbow flag. Council went away and did the work of developing a flag flying policy, but unfortunately that policy excludes flying the rainbow flag. We're quite disappointed in that, that councils passed the policy without flying the rainbow flag or committing to flying the flag, and we've written to the councillors asking them to reconsider. I think uh, it's a, a difficult thing, and you've got limited council resources, you've only got so many flagpoles, but... All we're asking is for them to fly the flag once a year on the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. And in those small regional towns like Edenhope and Caniva, uh, flying the flag can mean a lot for um, what is often an isolated community. Yeah, we're talking about a big council uh, and a very isolated council, basically on the South Australian border. Um, And just the fact that they won't do it on either Hobbit, which is all about combating homophobia, kind of sends a shocking message to the local queer community, doesn't it? Look, it is disappointing. I, I want to think that council will take the time to reconsider the kind of message they're sending when they pass a policy that excludes flying a flag of real importance to our community on these particular days. Um, And it's not necessarily that there's a huge community out there, but for the community that is there, uh, 
signs like these and decisions like these have ramifications. And you look at, say, another small council like Hepburnshire Council, which uh, supports uh, Chill Out Festival, they've really uh, benefited from being seen to be an inclusive place. We've got so many uh, queer folk moving up to Hepburn to retire. I think we've almost taken over the town of Dalesford. So there's a real opportunity for smaller towns to uh, be seen to be inclusive. And our community uh, looks at the decisions that local councils make and looks at the choices that they make when it comes to simple things like flying the rainbow flag or uh, putting up uh, rainbow stickers on council buildings. And we read those uh, symbols as signals of whether this place is going to be inclusive and accepting of us. Tell us about Moorable Rainbow Allies, a a, a local queer group in the city of Greater Geelong. Uh, How's the lobby been working with them? Well, Moorable is... Uh, You're right, it's a a place in Geelong, but it's also a local government shire that's just outside of Geelong that covers towns from all the way from Bacchus Marsh to Balan. Now, we had another bit of a hiccup, I'll call it there, where uh, we had a councillor that brought a motion to fly the rainbow flag. Again, uh, council went off and wrote a flag flying policy and councillors blocked it. Um, They said... We don't want this. We don't want flying the rainbow flag. We're not even going to consult the community on this. We're so dead set against it. Now, we've got one great ally on there, but the rest of them uh, turned their back, and we were incredibly disappointed. But out of that, uh, there was a group formed of community activists called the Moorable Rainbow Allies, and what they did was they went around to local businesses in towns like Milan and Bacchus and got them to fly the rainbow flag and all kinds of different pride flags to mark the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. And because of that, they were recognised in the Globe Community Awards and were nominated uh, and shortlisted for Community Campaign of the Year, which was a, which was a, great, uh, a great recognition of the fantastic work they'd done. They didn't win on the night, but I think they were very proud to be nominated, as they should be. They've done fantastic work. Of course, the Pride Lobby, the Victorian Pride Lobby, has been a big supporter of sex work law reform in Victoria. Uh, the government's decriminalised sex work in Victoria. Uh, sex work law reform Victoria, the organisation, says the next big battle is in relation to local government and uh, planning laws, local planning laws in relation to the regulation of, of, of sex work. Will you be working with sex work law reform Victoria at all or giving them some advice about how to deal with local government? Well, I think uh, there's uh, perhaps unsurprising overlap in the councils that aren't so LGBTIQA plus inclusive and the councils that aren't so great on sex work issues. So we've seen councils like Melton uh, fund uh, or do a community consultation around sex work that was really pushing an anti-sex work agenda. And then a council, uh, Borondara, that was actually going to flood the community with pamphlets against sex work, a huge waste of ratepayers' money. Now, particularly in the case of Borondara, there's much more that they can be doing to support their LGBTIQA plus community. So maybe take all of that money that they're doing printing pamphlets to scare people about sex work law reform and put it into uh, pamphlets to support their LGBTIQA plus community. But we know that through working together, we're going to be able to achieve more progressive councils that accept and um, embrace their LGBTIQA plus communities, but also accept and embrace the sex workers that live, work and um, carry on their business in those uh, areas. Of course, the sex work decriminalisation legislation kicks in on the 10th of May. I understand the uh, religious loopholes under the Equal Opportunity Act, the legislation that was passed late last year in relation to that, that takes effect on the same day. What wonderful synchronicity. Well, it's all it's all very good news. And I think um, what's also encouraging about uh, those sex work law reforms is it will add some new protections into the Equal Opportunity Act around profession trade or calling. I can't remember the exact wording and I'm probably wrong on that, but it's close to that. And that will mean that uh, even counsellors will have to ensure that they take positive steps to not discriminate against sex workers and create uh, an inclusive local council for sex workers. So that's going to be a really important thing and they'll 
will be a lot of work to do to ensure that councillors understand and follow their obligations under uh, equal opportunity law in that regard too. And we'll work with uh, our friends in the sex worker um, peer community to ensure that council laws understand and implement their obligations. Of course, we do have a state election in November. What issues will the lobby be highlighting and pushing the Andrews government on? What campaigns can we expect from the lobby? Uh, a lot of work still to do on law reform. Um, one big unfinished project is around vilification law reform. So at the moment here in Victoria, uh, our anti-vilification laws only protect uh, people from vilification on the basis of race or religion. They don't provide protection for vilification based on sexual orientation or gender identity or sex characteristics. Uh, we've had a parliamentary report that's recommended that the vilification laws be expanded to ensure that LGBTIQA plus people are protected from vilification and we'll have to continue to press the government and any incoming government to implement those recommendations that were supported on a bipartisan basis. But it's all good and well to get the recommendation. We've got to get the law reform to follow. So that'll be one big issue. There'll be plenty of others as well too across um, different areas. Uh, and we'll be calling on, as we usually do, all parties to take um, to make their commitments known to our community. Um, and we'll be publicising the commitments that they've made. Has the Andrews government committed to passing that vilification law reform before the election? Look, I think it's probably unlikely that we're going to see vilification law reform before the election. There's going to have to be a degree of consultation ongoing this year to uh, work it up into a bill. Uh, but I think that would have to be top of the agenda coming into a new term of government. And I should say, even if there is a change of government, that the uh, Liberal National Opposition supported these recommendations in the Parliamentary Committee inquiry. So we'd be... Uh, pushing them just as hard uh, to implement them if they're elected to government in the November elections. Sean Mulcahy, thanks for your time. Great to chat on 3CR. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And here's Marsha Hines. Troubles in my life, no foolish dreams to make.
sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. People so deep I could almost drown There's breaking waves of passion Waves of me on all this sound I should be diving right into it Kicking myself down But something's dragging me away From the here and now I'm always so damn distracted By things I think I'm lacking Counting dollars and hours Imagine superpowers Then I spot Girl, and she stops me in my triad. Hula hoop girl at the edge of the crowd. She goes round, around, around, around. Something hypnotic about how she turns. She just whirls, 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 whirls. Hair down to her hips in the beginning of a song. Circularity All my feet in the grass And I stop pretending Body relaxes My heart is tender Here in the moment I feel surrender Give myself up to the blazing splendor no wondering why I push my hands off through the sky Just shy there, and Boyd Kelly, hula hoop girl, and I uh, had the great pleasure of chatting with Just Shy this week. Thank you for having me, James. I absolutely love hula hoop girl. Tell us all about it. Thank you. I'm so pleased to hear that. Um, well, I describe it as like it's a bit of a funky R&B-ish pop track, still firmly rooted in pop, but. I guess where some of my previous stuff has been a bit more electro or disco leaning, this one's a little bit funkier. Um, yeah, a few more horns in there. Still kind of like some early 2000s influence, but I'd say a bit more Neptunes and Mark Ronson and a bit less Sophie Ellis-Bexter this time around, perhaps. 
and a great collaboration with Melbourne DJ Boyd Kelly. Tell us how you worked together again after your great track, Mirable. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the plan was always to do more stuff together. I think we um, we just really enjoy working working with one another, and I think we bring out uh, sort of the best in each other. So Boyd had a few different, I guess, instrumental ideas lying around that he shared with me, and then I sort of matched them up with some lyrical and melodic ideas that I had been sitting on. And um, yeah, that was kind of the the start. Like for me, in terms of writing the top line, I had the sort of idea of a hula hoop girl um, sort of stowed away for, for quite some time and hearing the track, it kind of just felt like the right sort of fun, bouncy, kind of carefree instrumental that would suit that sort of idea coming to life. Yeah, I love the bouncy lyrics. It's quite a kind of deviation, you know, from Mirrorball, which was kind of, you know, a, a sassy kind of gay disco track. This one, as you said, is very R&B. Uh, and about a hula hoop girl. Tell us about what inspires writing about a hula hoop girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be honest, it was pretty directly inspired by um, when I attended Meredith Festival in 2019, um, which I had a fantastic time at. Um, and I guess with any sort of uh, any festival, you tend to you know, observe all the different types of people in the crowd. And there are those who are like front and center getting completely into it. And one, I guess, like aspect that caught my eye um, and sort of captivated me was seeing people closer towards the edge of the crowd and particularly this kind of um, smattering of people who were hula hooping. And I just found that really entrancing. And I think seeing those people who are so I guess like so present, but also so like in their bodies of just doing that activity, I found really captivating. And um, yeah, it's kind of just a bit of a, I don't know, a point of view that I wanted to explore a bit more. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a segue from a gay market, from a gay audience to a broader audience. Was that kind of a conscious thing as well, where you kind of wanted to appeal more to perhaps a mainstream listenership? Uh no, definitely not. I think if anything, it'll be interesting to see how people interpret the song. Obviously, you know, um, identifying as gay myself, there's no, you know, sexual or romantic uh, kind of intent towards the titular hula hoop girl, but perhaps people will interpret it that way. I'm not sure. But I think if anything, I still don't think that the lyrics are particularly, uh, you know, by the numbers or straightforward. So not necessarily expecting it to... Uh, you know, achieve any more mainstream success than Mirable did, but who knows? We'll see. I mean, it's just so airplay friendly though. Like, you know, why wouldn't they run with it? Yeah, that's true. We'll see what happens. I think um, it's interesting. I remember last time we chatted about Mirable, I think we, we spoke about TikTok and I didn't really kind of pursue that with any sort of specific intent last time around. But I think this time... Well, Hoop Girl does have, I guess, it's got a hookiness to it and it probably also, I guess, in terms of the lyrics, potentially lends itself to, you know, specific kind of niches of the internet. Um, so that's kind of an aspect that we do want to try and push on a bit more this time and hopefully get a bit more, um, I guess, visibility to the song in that way, which will be interesting to see how it goes. Your last track, Mirrorball, of course, was done during lockdown. Uh, this track wasn't. How was it different in terms of the mechanisms of recording it with Boyd Kelly? Uh, we actually started writing it in lockdown. I think we might have even started writing it before Mirrorball came out, actually. But, um, I mean, I guess the process end-to-end was, was quicker this time around. I think for Mirrorball... It was prob- the best part of a year between when we wrote it and released it, and this one has definitely been quicker. So that's been fun, um, and it's nice to be able to sort of do the whole thing in in slightly quicker succession. So yeah, it's been. I'd say that's been the main difference. But um, you know, both both songs were, I would say, equally as enjoyable to to kind of produce from start to finish. So where did you record the vocals on the Hula Hoop Girl? Did you get into a studio or did you do it at home? Like, where was it recorded? I uh, am not a technical wizard by any stretch of the imagination, and I'm also quite lazy. So I I do all my demo vocals at home, but um, as with all my other stuff, I went into a proper studio um, in the CBD of Melbourne to to do the vocals for this one, which was fun. It was the first time I had recorded at this particular studio, and there was a little chihuahua in the room whose name was Frida Juanita Nother Margarita, 
Um, and she was just chewing on a little chicken bone for most of the session. So that was fun. It kind of added to the frivolity of the proceedings, I suppose. And the ambience as well. So do tell, what studio was it in Melbourne CBD? Uh, it's a studio called Studio Truth run by a guy named Curtis. And he's worked with quite a lot of um, queer artists in Melbourne. Like, I'm not sure if you've heard of Marion Cranes um, and a few others. So, yeah, I really enjoyed working with him and looking forward to doing so again. Fantastic. So what's next for you guys? A um, few more irons in the fire. Um, I think, you know, I've so enjoyed working with Boyd and definitely want to continue doing that. So hopefully um, eking out a live show in the not too distant future with him. Um, and then looking further into the year, I um, want to try and pump out a few solo songs as well. So I've got um, a handful already written and sort of at various stages of um, planning recordings and that sort of thing. So hopefully um, we'll be, yeah, doing a few solo songs through the year as well, which will be fun. Wow, that's exciting. Uh, wow. So um, you and Boyd, though, I mean, you're just kind of taking off together uh, and going solo already. That's kind of like, I guess you're juggling the two, yeah? Yeah, I think it's nice to do to do a bit of both. And I think, yeah, Boyd and I really work super, super well together and it's been such a fun con- collaboration and I'm sure it will continue to be so as well. But it's also nice to kind of be able to do do my own thing and, you know, be able to work on different things at my own pace. And Boyd sort of got his sound and I've got mine. And while we meld together super well, there's also, you know, sometimes I write things and I'm, I think, you know, best kind of, maybe doesn't fit as well with I guess the sonic niche that we're crafting as a duo as um to what I would do by myself so what are you writing at the moment Ooh, um I won't give too much away it's all it's all I think everything that I'm gonna put out this year I've already written to be honest unless I happen to be far more productive with the rollout than I am anticipating um but um it's a bit of it's a bit of like some come up, some come down, some being in love, some the, you know, the less fun aspects of love. I would say that's kind of like the, the main themes of, of what I'm working on, sort of duality, I guess. Wow. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because you said before that you're a lazy writer. So how do you manage that? Like, um, yeah, like do you have to really push yourself or do you just find that, you know, you get your inspiration that's on and you have to start writing. Like, how do you how do you manage all that? Um, for me, it really comes in waves. And I think that I wouldn't say I'm a lazy writer. I'd say I'm not very good at being in like a writing zone and a promotional zone at the same time. So right now, for example, I'm pretty laser focused on promoting Hula Hoop Girl and, you know, trying to have lots of fun with that and push the song out. So that probably means I'm not devoting as much attention to the writing side of things. And, um, you know, I sort of knew that this period was going to come. So I kind of tried to, you know, get as much writing done and squirrel some songs away before this period started so that I could still keep, you know, the sort of broader picture, keep things in motion in the meantime. So yeah, it's kind of fun to consolidate and focus on one thing at a time rather than trying to, I guess, dilute too much, I find. But it must be a big switch, right? You know, going from artistic mode to PR mode because you drive it all yourself, you know, you don't have a label per se. So it's kind of empowering, but gee, there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on, yeah. And there's always that voice in the back of your head that's like, you could be doing more, you could be devoting more time to this and spending more money and more energy and all that sort of thing. But I think it's also just, and I I think this is something I'm continually learning is like you have to kind of be comfortable of doing your best without, you know, impinging on the enjoyment of it at the end of the day, which is the most important thing. So it's always a balance to strike. Now, you mentioned, of course, you're doing some solo stuff. Can we expect some solo stuff from Boyd as well? I mean, he's a superb DJ. Yeah, he certainly is. And yes, I think you can. He actually released um, one solo track in between Mirrorball and Hula Hoop Girl, um, which was a really fun track called Keep Me. Um, And I think he's got more um, planned for this year as well. So yeah, hopefully we'll sort of both be doing our stuff, kind of our solo stuff in parallel. And then I'm sure at some point, um, you know, whether it's this year or next, we'll come back together for a big reunion again. 
and there must be so many great vocalists who are interested in working for Boyd because he's a he's a whiz. Yeah, he really is, and I think that's also something that I've really enjoyed in terms of working with him is he really kind of can, um, I guess, like assess and um, kind of feel where you want to take a song vocally and and kind of tailor the track to that. So, yeah, I'd love to um, kind of like hear what he produces with other vocalists. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. Your voice is in great shape on Hula Hoop Girl. Uh, what do you go through to get your voice in such superb condition? <laughs> That's very kind of you. I definitely don't consider myself a expert or particularly strong vocalist by any stretch of the imagination but I do try and do you know even if it's just a few minutes a day some little scales and warm-ups and stuff to keep things warm I guess um and I think as well I've been releasing music since 2018 sort of on and off and I think over time the the biggest kind of change for me has just been my confidence to just go for it really I think early on I probably wrote for a much smaller range and now I'm more willing to kind of like challenge myself in terms of the melodies that I write and really um, just go for it and have fun. So it's really nice to hear that that comes through in the song. And I can really imagine you doing a power ballad in the future as well, an 80s power ballad. I reckon that's in your repertoire. (laughs) Maybe. There may be a ballad or two written uh and and ready well not ready for release yet but coming at some point don't know how 80s skewing uh it it, they'll be but yeah i think i haven't really released a down tempo track for quite some time but it's definitely an era that i want to explore again for sure well i absolutely love hula hoop girl just shy congratulations to you and boyd kelly thanks so much for chatting with me today on 3cr uh thank you so much for having me it's been fabulous 
beautiful voices there of Cindy Lauper and Sarah McLaughlin time after time. I'm out of here. Don't forget to subscribe to 3CR. 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.